Welcome to the podcast at Clark's Room. The podcast is the unedited, unfiltered version of me. They are short snippets of my thoughts on education, technology, and leadership. All right, we are back at Clark's Room, the podcast. I am sitting with someone who is a little bit different than a lot of the people I've had on. I've known this person for, gosh, probably 14, 15 years, but he's not in my circle of educator people. You know how we all get connected. And so uh, sitting before us today, well, sitting before me, not you, is uh, Mr. Vernon Renwans. He is, well, I'll let him tell you. Can you tell us a little bit about your... I call it the origin story, how you got into education, what you did, and what you're doing now. Yeah, how I got into it. Uh, my father convinced me I was going to be a physician, and I just did not like the classes in college. So I went for psychology, and then decided education was my, my um, forte. So uh, I had a great student teaching experience, convinced me to be a teacher. So I taught in the classroom for 18 years, uh, third through sixth grade. I did first and second in summer school one summer. One. One Once. summer. Yes. I love those kids, but you know, that wasn't my expertise. So I had a principal uh, who challenged me to become a principal because I had, she said I had leadership skills and I resisted that, but um, she challenged me to go take uh, a class, just take any class. So I went to Sac State and I took uh, school finance. Wow, the most exciting class out of all of them. <laughs> Absolutely. And I decided I liked what I was hearing and so I took another class and ended up with my administrative credential and um, had to apply 18 different times before I got my first administrative job as a vice principal or assistant principal in Stockton Unified. And so I was an assistant principal for two years. Then I was appointed to principal at Victory Elementary School in Stockton Unified. Uh, transferred, uh, I was transferred uh, mid-year, five years later, to Commodore Stockton Skills School, uh, a K through eight school in Stockton Unified. And then uh, two years or a year and a half later, um, saw that Lodi Unified wanted a principal for Creekside Elementary School, so that's where I spent the last 11 years of my administrative career was principal there. So just so, so everybody understands, you are currently retired. Uh, yes, fully retired. So you're living the dream we all aspire to. Well, yes, I guess. <laughs> get, if you retire, when you retire, get ready to get busy. Yeah, I, it feels like, I'm assuming it's just like during summertime, there's lots of things that keep us busy and it's just that year round. Well, it is. Yeah. And people know that you have extra time. And so there are several requests that come in. So they like call you or message you and say, hey, be on a podcast. And then you have to go do stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I, I, um, I've never had any educator on, specifically administrator on that's been retired. So I'm, I'm excited to get a little bit of different perspective. And once you retired, though, you didn't stop working. You did some other stuff for a little bit, correct? For the first three years, I um, coached on site in Lodi Unified um, principals and assist or vice principals. Um, coached them so that they would have hopefully more success in their career and be success, you know, very good administrators. Um, about the time that the housing crisis hit California mm -hmm. and the rest of the world, 
Um, those funds ran out, so I began working with the National Association of Elementary School Principals and uh, worked with them for, on a very part-time basis, um, six and a half, six years, um, coaching, or, or yes, coaching principals from around the country who had gone through a specific training course on how to be a mentor mm -hmm. of principals. And so my coaching was a year long with them, and it was to get them certified nationwide as a as a mentor. So you're coaching coaches, essentially. Yes, yeah. I was. Yeah. That was interesting because I didn't meet most of them. It was online and on the phone. Where I always tell people we're such in a human business that, though I love online, that's hard. It is. I mean, it's one of the only entities where your input, your output, and the pieces in the machine are all human. Yes, yes. they are. <laughs> so it gets messy. What are, and this is, I love this question, actually. I'm, I'm going to start asking this to more people. But what are some things you wish more people understood about the field of education? Uh, I wish people understood that um, the professionals on campus are highly trained and that they are doing the very best that they can for your child uh, that it should be not an adversarial but a, a complementary relationship between parents and staff mm -hmm. um, oftentimes uh, parents can become less than supportive man you were a good principal that's a great way to put it less than supportive <laughs> and there are degrees um, when they have to hold the child accountable or when they need to talk to the parents about some inappropriate uh, conduct or whatever, but um, the defensiveness that parents have developed over the last 20 or 25 years mm -hmm. has been quite troubling. Um, I wish that uh, teachers who are going into the field would fully understand the devotion that they need to have to the uh, profession. And um, I, the training programs, um, I wish, would give them a better perspective. Yeah, I, I really wish the system was more like a, a union apprenticeship program where maybe the teacher teaches for a first full year under a, a master teacher instead of student teaching for, what, nine weeks? That's a, that's a cost because you have to pay that person for that year, you know? but I think you would know what you're getting into after a year versus nine weeks. It would be worth the cost yeah. in the long run because for those folks, then there weren't many, but for those folks over my administrative career that I had to let them know by mid-year that they weren't going to be rehired mm -hmm. because they weren't able to perform the job properly, that was tough. Yeah, that's not a fun conversation. No one likes that conversation. No, but to be honest, yeah. it had to happen mm -hmm. because I'm looking down the road at them having influence over 30 children a year for 35 years. Yeah. And you either have to be a benefit to those children or you need to do something else. Yeah. And I, I had a, an administrator that was coaching me on that saying, if they're not a B plus when you make that decision, it's really sketchy to keep them. You know, if they're a B, B minus, maybe if they have some other t intangibles, but he really said, you know, if they're not a B plus, because the ramifications years down the road could be life-changing for lots of people. And, and so it's not about that person really, which is hard because they went to school and that's their livelihood. But at the same time, there's bigger things. 
Well, and there's one thing I wish that site administrators understood more fully, and, and many do, but not all, that they are responsible for the impact on children for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And so they need to take that seriously and make sure that the best is being offered to the kids and the families. I'm sure you saw lots of trends and changes, has lots of trends that come through. How long do you think something has to be kind of tested before um, you can say, well, this works or doesn't work? You know, if it's a new curriculum or a new trend or a new philosophy, because I, I think there's two schools of thoughts on this and I think I could argue for both of them, but how long before you know if like, oh, this we got something here or, or maybe we don't know? Well, for something new that's being instituted in this school, you probably know within six months. Mm -hmm. and, and you put your best effort into it, but you can tell right away whether it's gonna work or whether it's not. Unfortunately, those things tend to hang around until the political climate or the administrative climate at the state uh, tends to change. I, I lean that way too, like, um, like when you walk into a classroom, you can tell pretty quickly whether the teacher is an engaging teacher. Oh yeah. You don't need a lot of evaluations to decide that. And you can tell if a, a program or a curriculum is, is good fairly quickly, but at the same time, you do need to give it time to breathe, but it's just, solidifying what your initial thoughts were typically at least you know and some people say oh you got to give them years i'm like uh, i don't know about that it needs to be research-based there needs to be yeah. a uh, a foundation of success before you throw it into the school otherwise it's an experiment yeah and at that point you're experimenting on children and that's not what they're there for <laughs> not at all so i this is i know this is a hard question because i've only been in administration for five years and i don't know if i can answer it but you're way smarter than i am what, if you had to pick a couple best aspect, aspects and most difficult aspects of being a, a site administrator, um, if you could, you know, a couple on each side. Well, the best ones come to mind easiest. Um, the best ones are seeing kids be successful. Mm -hmm. um, and that just is across the board, you know, you just, you walk into a classroom and it just brings a smile to your face when you watch the kids being successful but also that's because the teacher's been successful mm -hmm. too and so if you've put a lot of energy into training that teacher and developing them and supporting them it just is a great experience and then the other another thing that um, i would say about uh, the positives about the school period is the community support. Mm -hmm. um, you get some people who are just dynamite in there to support your efforts. Um, and you don't, you know, you have to not abuse them. You have to let them, let them do what they do best and then get out of their way so they can do that job. And I think, I know for me, sometimes that's hard because I, I'm a little bit of a control freak. And so sometimes it's hard to get out of people's way. I have no control issues as long as I'm in control. That's right. <laughs> Is there anything you miss about your job? Or are you, you know, I mean, I know we all want to make it to retirement and everything, but are, are there things that you go, huh, I, I wish I still had some of that? Uh, I've been back and substituted a few times. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I do miss um, just being there with the staff and the kids and uh, watching the successes they have, watching them grow. 
I do not miss the paperwork. Oh, jeez. I don't think people have any idea how much paperwork there's involved. I went back oh. and did a 10-day uh, vice principal substitution um, three years ago. Yeah, now. And all I had to do was watch teachers teach and be out and about with kids for 10 days. No paperwork. Oh, zero paperwork. It's phenomenal. And it was, I, I enjoyed going to work every day. <laughs> and I didn't have to wear a tie. After I quit wearing a tie to school, um, to work, I had a parent come to me one day, new to the school, and he, he said, people tell me that you're the principal. I am thank, you know, thankful to meet you, and I greeted him and everything, and he says, well, how would anyone know that you're principal? You're not dressed like a principal. And I said, they would do just what you did. They would ask anyone on campus, because everybody knows me, I'm out mm -hmm. and about all the time. Well, it's a different model now because it's it's you can't have the top-down principal model and it worked like it used to years and years ago. It's got to be shared leadership. So, I, I think there's there's definitely some change to you know what that you know the iron fist in charge is not what it used to be. Even when I went to school, I can remember the principal being the the guy that was untouchable and you didn't talk to and you were oh, scared of and and that sort of thing. And that's just not not good. Yeah. Being that you were a coach of a coach and in a educational leader for a long time, what makes a great ed educational leader? Like if there was a couple characteristics. Well, first of all, you need to be a good listener. So you understand other people's perspectives. Um, and then you also need to be able to, to take a risk. And if you see something that is, is right or needs to be done, you need to find the right resources, find the right people, and you need to make sure it gets done. And you may get some uh, flack for it, but um, I used to tell my uh, my assistant superintendent that it was easier to get easier to get forgiveness than permission sometimes. And, and let's be honest, site administrators are going to get flack anyway. Oh yeah. So you might as well do what you think's best because it's coming. But <laughs> no matter what you do, <laughs> it's coming, right? It uh, always yeah, it always comes right at you. So. I, I know there's, at least in California, and I'm not sure nationwide, that they, they talk about the teacher shortage, but no one talks about the leader shor shortage, right? How do we get more high quality administrators? Oftentimes, people think that your best teachers will be the best administrator. It's a different skill set. Totally different yeah. skill set. You need to look on, on your campus and find the best leaders the folks that other teachers look up to and confide in and then develop that leadership. That's what happened to me because I wasn't sticking out as a leader. My principal said, you have these skills, I'd like to see you develop those. Mm -hmm. So they need to be encouraged. But then they also need to be supported from the district level because no one is a king or queen at the district level. They, they At least they shouldn't be. Yeah and they need to be listening to their site administrators. I was fortunate most of the time to have a, uh, top level administrators that did that. Um, when I didn't, I moved districts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's the one thing that I think sometimes all educators, teachers and administrators, district people forget is you control where you're at. Now, and you have a choice to leave, but there, there can be some consequences. But if, you're, if you don't feel supported, and you can't do your job, meaning then you can't support teachers and students aren't going to learn, you got to change. And That's I think it. some people are too afraid to do that. And, but getting stuck in a bad situation, I've seen 
really good administrators and really good teachers get beat down and become average. And there's, there's not much sadder than that. Well, and the last uh, administrative position I held, uh, Creekside principal, for 11 years, the reason I was there was really twofold. One is that I showed that our staff could be successful. And number two, I had, I had listening ears at the district office, and they allowed me to stick my neck out at times and, you know, said, well, here are the possibilities. <laughs> you just need to know. Mm -hmm. And um, they allowed that to happen for the years, and we were really quite successful. All right. So if you were in charge of it all, I call it the grand poobah of education, and you could make one change, and all the resources or whatever you needed to make that change could happen, what do you think that one change would be? What would be like the most impactful change you could do for the educational climate right now? Well, and this isn't going to be a very popular opinion. I either. love them. I would abolish the federal uh, education um, department, mm -hmm. Department of Education. Uh, if you look at the stats in this country, ever since they became more and more involved in the schools and through all the programs they've got, achievement has gone down. Mm -hmm. Because you cannot have one set of rules or one program that fits every kid. It needs to be local control. Mm -hmm. Put it back at the local control. Get the feds out of it completely. And if people don't understand, there is a, a state, every state has their own state department of ed, but there's a federal department. Let you guys in a little secret if you don't know this. We actually have federal standards. Common Core is not state. It's federal. That's right. Right. And, and it's not written that way because they get around the, the Constitution and all those rules, but it really is a federal standard with about what I believe 15% is state controlled and the rest about 85% is federal. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't have to take those standards, but then you don't get federal dollars. So we might will have federal standards, correct? I mean, from the way I understand it, at least. The feds rule because if you don't like what they want you to do, they just withhold their money. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of money in some cases. So it would be so much better off if they just weren't involved. And to be honest, the only major thing that then states would have to pick up on would be... Um, the, the laws and regulations around special ed, because that's, that's a big fed that the states kind of bow down to. But other than that, the states could pick up everything else. They already have almost everything else. It's just the feds get in the way, it seems. And the achievement standards that the feds set, you see, it's, in my opinion, one size just doesn't fit all. Every state, every local area is unique. Every school within the same district is unique. Completely. Yeah, I, I would I would agree. I, I've actually never thought about that, but I, that's a great, it's just one more layer that may not be needed. Having always worked as a teacher or as an administrator in a Title I school, um, I completely believe that the feds need to get out of it. Yeah. It just make life a lot easier and a lot more successful. Yeah, and, and if there's not benefit, why? waste of time and resources, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking a little bit of time out of your busy schedule. I know you have um, lots of things going on. And so I want to just thank you for spending some time and, and definitely um, maybe we could do it again. I like this. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to the podcast at Clark's Room. As always, you can catch me on Twitter at Clark's Room or online at clarksroom.com to check out the blog. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Keep living the dream.